In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. You're likely aware that Canada's federal conservative party has had a pretty good summer. Their new leader has made gains in popularity. The party itself has blown past the liberals in the polls. And there is a sense of optimism that after nearly a decade, the Conservative Party of Canada is ready to form government once again. So, their convention this past weekend was a perfect time to solidify those gains, to unify the party, and to hammer home their message on affordability, which is proving very successful. Because an economy where the people who build our homes cannot afford to live in them is fundamentally unjust and wrong. That was party leader Pierre Polyev making the point well in his convention speech. Now all that was left to do was ensure that the party stayed on script and didn't pass any controversial resolutions that could derail their winning message. Ranging from vaccine mandates to energy transition to what some are calling disturbing and discriminatory policies targeting already vulnerable members of the 2S LGBTQ plus community. Hmm. Ah, well, nevertheless. So what does the past week tell us about where the CPC actually is and where it is going? Will they be able to stay on message for the probably two years left to go before Canadians vote? That is a long time to keep a party in lockstep. Can Polyev pull it off? Or have we seen this film before? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Stephanie Taylor covers Parliament Hill for the Canadian press, as well as, last week, the Conservative Party of Canada's convention. Hey, Stephanie. Hi. I want to start by just asking you, heading into this convention, um, what was the mood like for the Conservatives? Uh, how are the vibes, for lack of a better term? Happy, jubilant, celebration, what other ad- adjectives for happiness we can put in there. The Conservatives were riding pretty high going into convention, and that was for a couple of reasons. Successive polls this summer have shown the Conservatives not just leading over the Liberals, but leading with a wide margin polling results that show that if there was an election held today, and obviously we don't know when the next election is going to be, but if there was an election held tomorrow, the Conservatives would be cruising to a majority territory. So going into this convention, not only was talk of a blue wave on people's minds and on people's lips, but there was also a sense of the party's troubles and dark days are a bit behind them. Now, people were cautious talking to me, conservatives, that they know polls can change and they have to remain humble. But this is a party that has gone through successive leadership races. It lost the 2019 election. 
Former leader, now House leader Andrew Scheer, resigned after a lot of pressure from within the party, within caucus, outside, for him to step down because he couldn't answer for his social conservative views. Then the party elects Aaron O'Toole, and he has a hard time convincing conservatives that he is this quote-unquote true blue conservative that he ran on. He loses the 2021 election. Caucus ends up ousting him. Going into this convention, one of the refrains I kept hearing from insiders and, and from caucus members was that the unity the party has sought for so long is starting to come naturally, meaning that conservatives see Pierre Polyev is the guy who can return them to power and actually make inroads with the communities and regions of the country that have kept the conservatives out of out of government for so long. You mentioned uh, a few of those, frankly, fantastic polls for the conservatives over the course of the summer. Do we have an idea uh, to what they owe that advantage? Is it their hard work paying off? Is it Polyev? Is it liberal malaise? Is it Canadians just not in a great place right now? It's a little bit of everything. So the conservatives feel that their message on the cost of living and housing affordability is resonating. And one of the reasons it's resonating is that Canadians actually haven't heard a lot from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Liberal government about what are they going to do to fix the problems. Going into the summer, there was a lot of talk on Parliament Hill and a lot of speculation that there could be a cabinet shuffle, that the Liberal government recognized that its message wasn't getting to Canadians, that there was concerns about housing affordability that were going unaddressed. So we saw the prime minister, he shuffled his cabinet, the biggest that we've ever seen since he came into office. The lines coming from his office where they were assembling this economic front bench and then crickets. There have mm-hmm. been no announcements about, okay, what new or what change or what is the liberal government going to do differently to address the housing affordability, the cost of living concerns. We didn't see any announcements come out of the liberal cabinet retreat. We'll have to see what happens, what comes out of caucus because they're meeting starting today. But then you have Pierre Polyev, who has been hammering home this message about housing affordability, about people not being able to get ahead. We can talk about it a little bit more, but he's really painting this picture that is appealing to the emotions of Canadians. I mean, he was elected as a populist leader, and he still is a populist leader. He has softened his tone considerably since the leader we saw one year ago. But he's really appealing to the anxieties that Canadians have, and particularly even the anxieties of young people. He's also a very effective communicator. He uses social media in a very effective way to get out his messaging. Throughout the summer, we saw the Conservatives roll out a $3 million ad campaign all about reintroducing Mr. Polyev, not as this kind of pit bull attack dog opposition leader who can really get under the liberal skin, but as a prime minister in waiting, someone Mm. who understands where Canadians are and and is kind of meeting the moment. So Mm -hmm. the Conservatives absolutely feel that their message is resonating, but part of that is that the Liberals really haven't put a lot on the table. And one of the things I heard this week in talking to Conservative MPs was the Liberal MPs must be hearing the same things we are hearing. So with all that in mind, they're in a really positive place. The convention is coming up. What was the big picture goal for the party uh, at this convention? What did they want coming out of it? They wanted to show Canadians who Pierre Polyev was, and they wanted to show Canadians that he is a prime minister in waiting. And they did that by highlighting the fact that his message going into the next election is going to be affordability, affordability, affordability. It's going to be this idea that Canadians feel like they've lost hope, that they can't get ahead. He spent a lot of his speech on Friday night that went for more than an hour. It was a very long speech, 
really kind of painting this idea of a Canada that is weary from anxieties about housing, about crime, about feeling things aren't as good as they were from their parents' generation. This convention also, in a practical sense, during that very long speech was the chance for a future Conservative campaign to get all the photos and images of of what they needed of their leader and of, of the movement at this time. But another goal from the convention was for the Conservatives to put out this show of force. As I talked about, the Conservatives have had a bruising couple of years where they've had successive leadership races. There have been battles within the different groups of the party, the social Conservatives versus, you know, Conservatives dwelling in the GTA or in BC who want to talk more about the environment. Mm -hmm. But one of the emphasis that the party brass put on this convention was to show the Conservative movement is unified. We saw former Harper cabinet minister, former progressive conservative party leader, Peter McKay, take the stage. And just the fact that he did sends a message because he represents more of that red Tory moderate side of the party that he is behind Mr. Polyev, who certainly I think for many would not come across as as a moderate. Certainly that's not who he ran to be leader of the party last year. And the message that McKay hammered home to conservatives is if you've listened to anything he said, it was to stay unified, to get behind the leader's idea, to show Canadians that if they can govern the country, they can govern themselves. And this inability for the conservatives to show Canada that they can govern themselves was actually one of the factors, contributing factors, a postmortem found after the 2021 election loss. What do you mean by not being able to govern themselves? Unity, to put to bed these battles, whether it's in caucus, that caucus fully isn't behind the leader. If you remember Andrew Scheer, he won by a very slim margin in 2017. Aaron O'Toole, he won by having to capture a lot of the social conservative votes. Mm -hmm. Pierre Polyev won with a crushing first ballot victory where he didn't really have to owe his success to, say, appealing to the social conservative base or appealing in a really concerted you know, way to say firearms owners, well, you put me in, I'm going to advance your interests. He ran on this more broad-based message of freedom and religious freedom and freedom to own property and freedom to think what you want and to live your life the way you want and not get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. But he didn't really have to do all of these kind of brokering to get the votes that he needed. So in terms of conservatives having to govern themselves, they came out of this convention showing that they are unified, that the conservative movement is strong. Obviously, another point to this convention is simply to introduce Canadians to who Pierre Polyev is. We saw the ads they were running this summer. This weekend was flooded with media coverage all about who he was, the TV networks carrying his speech live. And of course, conservative delegates, they talked about policies and what priorities they want to see the leader advance. Maybe you could explain, because we're about to talk about um, some of these motions that were advanced, and and maybe you could just quickly explain an overview of how that works at a convention and how uh, policy items are introduced and confirmed or not. Going into a convention, and these conventions happen every few years, all of the different riding associations have a chance to update, amend, change not only what policies the party has on its books, but what it's constitution says. So leading up to this process, riding associations members put forward their ideas, they get voted down. There is eventually a list of about 60 or so that made it to the main convention. Delegates meet behind closed doors to hammer out, you know, which are the main policy changes or amendments or new ideas that they want to see brought to the main floor. And about 30 were brought to the main floor, some more controversial and contentious than others, some falling well within 
what Mr. Polyev is talking about when it comes to housing affordability or dealing with crime or speaking to those who are concerned about things like medical assistance and dying, which is something the Conservatives have talked about for a long time. But some are of more of a controversial or new nature, issues around gender identity and children and, and you know, who can use a, a bathroom based on how you identify your gender. Mm-hmm. So... Conservatives debated, voted on these motions. They are now the ones that were brought through are just on the party's policy books. But as Mr. Polyev said, going into this convention, he withholds a right, as conservative leaders have in the past, to include the ones he wants in an eventual election platform or to just leave them living in the area of party policy that doesn't really go anywhere. In 2007... TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. When you start to mention stuff like uh, bathroom bills, and I know there was another uh, important motion uh, passed about prohibiting some gender-affirming care uh, for transgender folks that are under 18, how critical is it for this party uh, to find that balance between hammering home that economic message and uh, veering towards these culture war issues that kind of divide a a lot of the conservative party. This is the tension that Mr. Polyev faces, like other conservative leaders before him, trying to straddle here is what the conservative base wants. A lot of their priorities are much farther right and at times controversial compared to where mainstream thinking is. At the same time of not isolating the base that they leave you or that they create those, you know, power struggle problems that distract from your message, but then appealing to a wider swath of Canadians. I think what was interesting about this policy convention is that there was a lot of talk among conservatives, including some senior conservatives, that while issues around gender and gender identity are not necessarily what most Canadians want to be talking about, it is not as something as toxic to the party as, say, abortion is. These policy conventions of the past have seen policies and debates about abortion. This is something the party recognizes as hurting their electoral chances for the simple fact that a lot of Canadians have decided where they feel about abortion access in this country. This is not a debate that they want to reopen. The same thing with with equal marriage. In 2016, we saw conservatives get together at a policy convention and decide to get rid of what had been, you know, a traditional definition of marriage that had been on the books because there was a recognition that the times have changed and Perhaps the Conservatives still having, you know, this kind of policy and thinking on the books is going to hurt their chances of just looking like a relevant kind of forward looking party to Canadians that welcomes everybody. These issues around gender and trans issues, I think, are a little bit of a different beast because we are seeing debates erupt about this throughout the United States. We're seeing debates brought out on these issues, albeit not necessarily about restricting gender affirming care, but about what parents should or should not have the right to know about their child's pronoun use in schools. We've seen that play out in Saskatchewan. We've seen that play out in New Brunswick. Mm -hmm. So this is really the conservative delegates in a way kind of pushing 
Polyev and the party to address these issues, which are gaining traction within the conservative movement in a way that they have not before. Has Polyev specifically uh, commented on the gender issues and the uh, transgender motion at the convention and uh, said whether they will or not become official party policy. This is where it's kind of important to pin him down. Right. So after the votes this weekend, it is going to be party policy. So the party policy asked the Conservative Party to say that a future Conservative government would prohibit what it termed as, uh, you know, medicinal and, and surgical interventions for minors dealing with gender dysphoria. Mr. Polyev, going into the convention, said he will not be pronouncing or stating his position on any of the motions. He was going to let members decide. It's been a few days now, and Mr. Polyev is going to have to answer to this specific motion. Is this something he's going to leave in party policy? Is this something he's going to bring into an election platform? Is this a policy or an idea he himself endorses or he himself has some kind of level of support for? I don't know the answer to that, and we do not have an answer for that yet, but he will be asked about that, and he will have to answer to that. And not only will, I think, the broader Canadian electorate be looking, but the factions of his base, right? The social conservatives, Mm -hmm. the the conservative delegates who want him to not just be talking about an economic message, but say, look it, we also want to be, as conservatives, wading into these more social, cultural, you know, culture war debates, if we want to term them that way. Um, So he is going to have to answer to them with a couple different audiences watching him. Well, and this is why I asked this question, even though it sounds cynical, it's not really coming from that place. Will all the members of this now suddenly unified uh, conservative party be able to resist the impulse to go off the rails on these kind of culture war issues for the next, like we've still got practically two years before the next election. Like I think we've already had this conversation in the past about how the Conservative Party needs to stick to their mainstream economic message to win over swing voters. And, you know, you know what happens next. This is where Polyev and his team have to continue to show Conservatives that they have the right formula. And that was one of the top line goals of this convention is to show the delegates, look at what we're doing is working. The message discipline is working. The discipline of listening to the leader, of letting the leader's office kind of set the tone and go from there is working. Now, talk to any conservative or really anybody in politics, and they'll tell you that a goal like unity is pretty easy to achieve when the polls are looking pretty good for you. But inevitably, there's going to be harder days ahead. There's likely going to be a slump. And that is when Mr. Polyev is going to have to navigate, okay, how do I keep my folks on message? How do I keep us all kind of rowing in the same direction without necessarily completely ostracizing the base? Because the base, these are your donors. These are your loyal supporters. These are the people who knock doors and sell memberships and hammer and lawn signs. So you can't completely cut your nose off in this one if you're a conservative leader. But it's going to be about how do you keep these sections of the base happy without allowing them to become distractions. And when you heard his speech on Friday night, Mr. Polyev, he talked a lot about an affordability message, but he threw what I would call kind of breadcrumbs to the base. So he talked a little bit about Davos and the UN. He talked about a family pulling up to the headquarters of the CBC, giving a nod to one of the most well-loved pledges he makes to the base, which is to defund the CBC. He Mm -hmm. and his wife talked about truckers, a nod to the Freedom Convoy, which he and many other conservatives supported, right? So 
on Friday, you kind of saw this balance where he's still throwing a little bit of red meat to the base, but he's doing so, I think, in order to steer everyone in the direction of these are kind of the broad-based economic messages we need to continue to hammer home if we want to get into the prime minister's office. So you have to eat the economic message for dinner and then you can have a little conspiracy as a treat. (laughs) I'll let somebody else define that. (laughs) Conservatives are a little touchy about what they consider conspiracy theories. but That is uh, true. (laughs) But no, it it is. This is the challenge that he has before him. And I I think what's interesting is that when he became leader, there was a lot of talk of, oh, he's going to have to pivot. What I think we've seen is it's not so much a, a pivot, but almost a turning down, where it's not that mm. these issues are completely silent or that they're right. not talked about, but they're just talked about in a in a more subtle way and little hints here and there versus the I'm, you know, saying it from a microphone in front of big, big crowds and it's all over social media because Mr. Polyev, like him or not like him, he knows how to get out of a message, yeah. right? So it's almost as if they've kind of turned the dial down on these messages, but they're not completely gone. That's so interesting because um, in the past, there has been that tendency from some of the base to, if they don't think they're getting that kind of commitment from their leader, they will get louder and a little bit more outlandish, right? Which is obviously the opposite of what Polyev needs right now. Absolutely. And I think Mr. Polyev, he's experienced and he knows conservative politics. He sat in that caucus for a long time. And Mm -hmm. so he's had a front row seat to what happens if a leader loses caucus or and a leader loses the base. Look no further than former leader Aaron O'Toole, who on the campaign trail, even before that, was accused of flip-flopping. First, there's going to be no carbon price. Then there was a carbon price. We're going to do this on guns. We're actually not going to be doing this on guns, right? So it, it is about not just the consistency of the mesh message, but not really inflaming the parts of the base. And when we talk about those motions, the party policies on on gender and trans issues, that is also widely seen as a way to allow some of the social conservatives in that movement and other supporters who feel very strongly about that to appease them. And now he'll have to decide what he does. This is just going to be a a strategic appeasement and and to allow the party to have it. Or is he going to try to substantiate it in some way and kind of bring it further into the mainstream by, by putting it in some kind of election platform or pronouncing on it in a way? I mentioned a minute ago that there could be as many as two years before the next election. Um, You mentioned when we were talking about that, that, you know, there will be worse, probably, polling days than uh, the party's seeing right now when it's riding a high. Uh, How difficult is it to keep the kind of momentum the CPC has now going when the next election is so far away? I mean, it it certainly feels like the conservatives must want to, like, get to the polls as soon as possible. Pacing is going to be tough for them. And this is talking to conservatives on the floor. This was the challenge that was laid out to me is that how do you how do you keep this momentum going for two years? And I mean, as we've talked about sticking to the economic message, keeping that message discipline was pointed out to me is, yes, this is something that conservatives could and should be doing. There's also some of the more practical aspects of that they if they want to get people in certain regions excited and fired up about the conservative message, it's about nominating those candidates. You think about an area like the greater Toronto area, that's a liberal fortress right now, meaning the conservatives don't have a lot of incumbents that are going to be going and trying to rally people up, trying to spread the conservative message. Yes, Mr. Polyev is is gone on tour, as he did this summer, and the party made it very clear that it has the money and it has the 
dedication to continue to put him on the road. You're going to see more advertising to try and reintroduce himself or to kind of get Canadians who maybe don't like him or know much about him warm to the idea of him becoming the next prime minister if that is what happens. But it is going to be, I think, sticking to the economic message, but also not taking things for granted. And and this is something that, you know, caucus members talked to me about, as well as pointed out that Mr. Polyev himself, this was an ethos he had during the leadership campaign, right? I mean, he went into that contest as a clear front runner status and still hustled to sell more than 300,000 memberships and, mm. and to get out the vote right down until the last minute before there was really a lot of substantive talk of, okay, what's going to happen? What's we win? But it is going to be difficult about maintaining that momentum. Another thing that the conservatives might and could and should have to do is talk more about policy, mm. right? Talk more about how and what will they do? One of the criticisms against the conservative leader is that he talks a lot in slogans and catchphrases. And while he has outlined his top line, here are my main priorities to cut spending, to build homes, a lot of the details we haven't seen yet. So putting more in the window for Canadians to see is going to be important. But as you say, that timing, because you don't want to bring all your goodies out of an election platform too soon, but you also don't want to let become radio silence and people stop paying attention to what you're saying. So it's, it's going to be a delicate balance for them. Last question. Now that you've seen everything uh, the parties had to offer at that convention, what is the biggest question in your mind that the Conservatives still need to answer before Canadians go to the polls? What is Pierre Polyev going to do if he forms government and how is he going to do it? We hear a lot from Mr. Polyev about things like cutting spending. What are the timelines for that? What are the timelines for getting rid of the deficit? What are we going to do about, he says, technology and not taxes, taxes implying what he calls the federal price on on carbon that's being applied in four provinces right now. How is he going to create a world where Canada is able to reduce some of the admission emissions through technology and not taxes? Mr. Polyev has yet to answer about how a Canadian government under him would respond to President Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, which is investing, you know, trillions of dollars into the development of green technology. So there's going to be the how and the what is he going to do if he becomes government. Stephanie, thank you so much for this. Thank you. Stephanie Taylor of The Canadian Press. That was The Big Story. For more, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca where you will find all of our political coverage. If you'd like to complain one way or another about that political coverage, you should know how to do it by now. You can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can write us an email using hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And you can call us and leave a voicemail. That phone number is 416-935-5935. The Big Story is available in every single podcast player and, of course, on smart speakers. All you got to do is ask them to play The Big Story podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. 
I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.